Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, our series of the Men of a Thousand Voices continues, and we're back with a Paul Freeze episode. This one comes from Studio X, and the title is The Red Macaw. Nivens was a perfect butler. He thought so, and his employer seemed to think so, too. That's why it was so easy to pilfer just a bit of cash here and there. Make a bit of a loan, as Nivens put it, without anybody ever suspecting. And then one day, a strange bird flew into the garden. Ah! Nivens thought it was a parrot at first, and then he saw it was a macaw, a red macaw. And he knew that that bird was to be his downfall. And so begins another story from Studio X, starring America's most versatile actor, Mr. Paul Freese. But here, before we begin our story, is your announcer. your star of Studio X, Mr. Paul Freese. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Studio X and our presentation of The Red Macaw. Well, Nivens, your papers seem to be in good order. Your references are sound. Mm, yes, references, dare say. Uh, uh, just a few more things to settle. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, I travel quite a bit. I have a great many things on my mind. Mm, Yes, things, minds. Being a writer, you know, I'm a writer. Naturally, then I want you to take complete charge of the household. Mm, That includes the household budget, too. Budget, naturally. I trust that your background of honesty is as sound as your background of service. Oh, Mr. St. John, sir. My integrity is absolutely unimpeachable, sir. Why, 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 there would be no question, no thought of 
any such thing, sir. I have position, sir, and background. Why, you can trust me to the very, as they say, sir, to the ends of the earth. I can swear to it, sir. Oh, yes, yes, very well. I entertain quite a bit, you know, and the household budget is sometimes quite large. Naturally, I wanted to make sure uh, there will be no question after this, Nivens. You may consider yourself employed. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm certain you won't be disappointed, and I'm certain you'll find me the very essence of honor and honesty, sir. A few days after he was hired, he slipped into the little phone room just off the kitchen and called an old friend. Hello, Bertie. This is Nivens. I have the job at the St. John household, and I'd like to make a bit of a deal with you, as it were. Go ahead. What's on your mind? Well, two quid a week to me and your brother-in-law, the butcher, can supply all the meat for the St. John household. Two quid? Why, that's out of the question. Bertie, I'll call you back. Someone's coming. Nivens quickly hung up straight and lifted his eyebrows quite nonchalantly and walked out into the hall. Mr. St. John was passing. Uh, was anyone phoning me, Nivens? Oh, uh, no, sir. I was just placing an order with the greengrocer, sir. Nivens slept easily in his room off the garden. There was nothing wrong with little things like that. It was the prerogative of a servant to gain a bit of change for himself. It wasn't that it was hurting his employer a bit. It was coming out of the pocket of those skin flints, the tradesmen. And then Nivens began reading the racing forms and indulging in this gentlemanly sport of kings. It was so easy at first. He'd slip a couple of pounds from the kitchen budget into the hands of the delivery boy, who in turn would slip it into the hands of Willie the bookie, as reliable a dopester as Nivens had ever encountered. Nivens found infinite adventure in talking to the man on the phone. Hello there, Willie. I say, what looks good today, hmm? Oh, I'd say Shining Boy in the fourth. Fine. The grocer boy will be over with a bit of change. Place it on the creature's nose, please. Shining Boy in the fourth, eh, Willie? Thank you. <coughs> Shining Boy in the fourth. Shining Boy in the fourth. <coughs> Nivens started. There, perched on the windowsill of the phone room, was a strange bird. Who knows where he came from? Shoo! Shoo! Get away from here! Get away, you bird! But the bird merely opened his mouth as if yawning and didn't budge. What was it? A parrot? A cockatoo? No. It was a macaw. A blood-red macaw. Get away! Get away, bird! Nivens grabbed a broom handle and tried to pry the macaw from his newfound perch. <laughs> the bird merely swooped into the house, flying wildly toward the front room. Nivens raced after it, broom in hand. And the bird circled around the living room and then found a haven high in the chandelier. <laughs> Shining boy in the fourth. Shining boy in the fourth, eh, Willie? <laughs> you blasted bird, get down from there. You blasted... <laughs> Nivens forgot about his feathered visitor a short while later when Willie the bookie called and announced that Shining Boy had indeed won the fourth. He rubbed his hands. This was marvelous. Willie was as reliable a source of information as could be found. And right then and there, Nivens determined really to plunge in. He'd been so lucky so far that he'd make a large loan from the household fund. The entire hundred pounds of the current expense account 
He didn't trust the grocer boy with that much money. He managed to get away from the house to visit Willie the bookie himself. At first, he hesitated just a bit to bet the entire sum, but Willie had a sure thing. It couldn't miss. Redbird in the sixth. And so all his money and the entire household account were joyfully turned over, and the erect butler sat in the back room of the bookie joint, an umbrella in his hand, listening to the sixth race as it came over the little radio. And there they go. The race is off. It's Red Bird in front as they break out. Stormy Joe is second. Big boy hugging close to the rail. And it's Red Bird by length at the quarter. With Big Boy second by a nose. And Stormy Joe. I say it's Red Bird at the half by half a length. And Big Boy moving up, as they say. And... Stormy Joe. Niven's face lit up. He clenched his umbrella handle. Come on, come on, Redbird. Father needs new footgear. And it's Redbird in front at the far end. Big boy moving up at the rail. And Stormy Joe. And they're turning into the stretch. And I dare say this is so exciting. It looks like it's anyone's race. Why don't they announce it? And here's the winner. Petunia by length. Big boy, second. And Stormy Joe. I say, where's Redbird? Where's Redbird? Redbird ran out of the money. Turn it off. Turn it off, I say. Nivens walked all the way back to the St. John home in the country contemplating suicide or something reasonably close. He was ruined. Where could he get that hundred pounds? And Mr. St. John would be back in a few days. Oh, if he could only cover up, he would never bet again. Never. That night he tossed and turned on his bed, his mind only on a pilfered hundred pounds. He muttered in his sleep. Suddenly he sat up in bed. The door to the garden was slamming in the wind. And then he saw it. Seated on the bedpost at his feet was the red macaw. A hundred pounds from the household fund. A hundred pounds from the household fund. You blasted bird, shut your beak. You... He reached for a shoe and flung it at the bird. It rose with a shriek and roosted atop the bureau. From the household fund. Hundred pounds from the household fund. Ah! Nivens shivered. That bird would give everything away. He could cover up for a few days if it weren't for that talkative bird. Suddenly he thought, oh, that blasted macaw didn't think. It parroted, it mocked. Certainly. He'd confuse the bird, even with some of this newfangled radio stuff, this double talk. I say, bird. Uh, bird, uh, Nivens is a nice chap. Nivens is a very nice chap. Nivens is... He waited a moment. Then the bird opened his beak. Hundred pounds from the household fund. Nivens' face went white. The bird was a curse. He'd have to get rid of it, and right away. He got an axe, a kitchen knife, and a heavy mop handle. 
And after two hours of chasing all through the house and all through the garden, he managed to get the bird. With a great sigh of relief, he buried it. When he fell back into bed, he was completely exhausted, but free of this blabbering macaw. As for the hundred pounds, he'd managed to get it somehow. Right now, he needed sleep. Ah, such sweet sleep. And with no red macaw to bother him. His first thought the next morning was a new job while Mr. St. John was still away. So he hurriedly scanned the classified section of the morning paper. His eyes fell on an item that made his face turn red with rage and humiliation. The item... Lost. Valuable red macaw. Reward for return. One hundred pounds. And so ends another story from Studio X, starring your one-man theater, Paul Freeze, who portrays all of the parts. Mr. Freeze will return in just a moment after a few words from your announcer. Macaw, written by Jerome Lawrence, was produced by Sam Kerner with music composed and played by Rami Idris. Special effects by Fred Cole. Your announcer was Shepard Mencken. Won't you join us again at Studio X when we present another exciting story for your entertainment? This is Paul Fries saying goodbye. Until next, we meet. Welcome back. My favorite part of this one was the racing announcer. 
Oh, uh, which was just absolutely hilarious. I don't know whether Freeze was going for a parody of actual uh, British announcers that he'd heard on radio, that the writer had heard on radio, or the idea of a stereotypically super polite and subdued Englishman serving as a racing announcer, but either way, I think it worked okay. And I definitely do see a pattern with these uh, stories. So far, every episode with Paul Freeze has really leaned heavily into the uh, big uh, uh, close with uh, dramatic irony. And also, we are getting stories, uh, you know, that have very ambiguous endings. Was our butler doomed for killing the Red Macaw? Maybe. He seemed to think that he had a shot at finding a way to raise the money. Did he? We don't know. It certainly was ironic if he's got to go to a bunch of additional problems that he could have solved everything by capturing the bird rather than killing it. Well, that will actually do it for this week. Join us back here next week as we turn to a Frank Graham story. If you do have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.